So if I were to die during Mass, and not at the end of Mass where I want to die, but in the middle of Mass, like right after the consecration of the bread into the body of Christ, it poses deep theological problems. In fact, in canon law, it just says, nefas est, which is basically Latin for don't do this, because we don't even know the ramifications of just consecrating the body. Like if you were at mass and the priest just forgot, that's a serious issue. In fact, I, I told my, my servers today, if I ever forget to consecrate the precious blood, you have to come up and yank on the tassels. That's what the tassels are for. You yank on the tassels and tell me you didn't consecrate the precious blood. Well, why is that? Why is that so important? Can't we just have communion? We only receive the host anyway. Because without the blood, there's no sacrifice. And we're here to celebrate the sacrifice of the mass, which is the same sacrifice as the sacrifice of Calvary. So if we don't consecrate the blood, we have a big issue. So actually, this is the protocol for, for this if that happens. If I were just to pass out, then you may wait till I'm revived and then I have to finish the mass. But if it's, if it's not a possibility, we have to call another priest. We call Father Cabista, or we call Father Jensen, or one of my roommates who say, hey, can you come here and finish the Mass? Because right now we're kind of suspended in this awkward place in between the consecration of the body and the consecration of the blood. In fact, it's such a serious rule that even if there was a, a defrocked, laicized priest who wasn't allowed to exercise ministry somewhere in the area of the community, we could call him in and he would have the obligation to finish the mass. Because if there's no blood, there's no sacrifice. If Jesus didn't institute the sacrament of his body and blood at the Last Supper, then Calvary is nothing more than a brutal execution of some errant preacher who is in the wrong place at the wrong time. If Calvary never happens, then the Last Supper is just kind of like, well, that's, that's a cute little ceremony and just, uh, you know, n nothing really to write home about though. But the two of them together makes it clear that Jesus is laying down his life. Nobody takes it from him. He's laying down his life as the victim, perfect sacrificial victim for our salvation. However, even with that, there's something still missing. Well, what could possibly be missing? He died, he rose, he said he was gonna do it. What's missing? Well. Let's go back to the Old Testament. And one, of the, one of the aspects of the sacrifices that were offered in the temple was actually the offering of the blood. So the animal would be slain outside of the temple or in the temple courtyard area, and the, the carcass would be, would be burned generally. But then the blood would be taken by the priest into the Holy of Holies and sprinkled on the altar. Because this was the consummation of the sacrifice. It was the offering to God. Yeah, we killed the animal. Does God accept our holocaust? Does God accept the outpouring? Again, that, that's the symbol there is, Lord, we deserve to die. And so instead, please accept this sacrificial animal in our place. The blood was seen to be the life force of the animal. 
the stuff that was its life. So it's actually for this that the Jews were prohibited from drinking the blood of any animal. But it was offered in sacrifice as the, the completion. And in fact, there was no sacrifice or no covenant even without the shedding of blood. We see this theme over and over and over again in the Old Testament. And so Jesus, he offers himself the perfect victim. He, he's immolated, he's poured out, and yet his blood still needs to be presented to God. It's in the ascension that he presents and offers his blood to the Father on our behalf. And actually, that's what he's still doing. That's what he's doing right now. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, interceding for us, meaning he's offering his blood continually for our salvation. So if there's no blood, there's no sacrifice. There's no sacrifice, there's no remission of sin. There's no remission of sin, we're in a whole lot of trouble. And so that's what we celebrate today on the Feast of the Ascension, the conclusion, the completion of the sanctifying work of the Lord. We symbolically represent this in every single Mass. In every single Mass we say that right after the consecration as we celebrate the Passion, the Resurrection, and the Ascension. It's symbolically represented at the moment the priest ascends the altar into the sanctuary. He's coming up. Remember, this represents heaven. This represents the true Holy of Holies. And so symbolically, we represent that going up to the altar and into the sanctuary. And this is where Jesus is seated continually doing his work of mediation, doing his work of offering that sacrifice which he was the victim for. And so there's no blood, there's no sacrifice. Now, I think it's for this, this same reason, this same reason that we see in the, in the, when Jesus is talking about his body, his blood, that the Jews get very squeamish. The blood. And we don't, we don't drink blood. That's the life force. And Jesus is saying, exactly. That's the most important thing is the blood. Well, this brings up another question. How come we don't receive the precious blood at mass? Well, there's two answers to that. One, we do because whenever we receive the body, we receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity. Whenever we receive just the blood, we receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity. Whenever we receive just even a fragment of the host, we receive the whole Jesus, body, blood, soul, and divinity. If we were to receive a drop of the precious blood, we receive the whole Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity because Jesus is risen, he's glorified, he cannot die anymore. He is whole and entire. And this is why with every single particle of the host, every single drop of the blood, we show the utmost care and reverence. And we see the different cloths on the altar. We see the patent that the servers hold. You see how the priest scrapes any, any particles into the, into the chalice. It's for this reason I say if you receive on the hand to be careful and cautious of any fragment of the host because it's not a crumb of bread, it's all of Jesus, whole and entire, body, blood, soul, and divinity. So no matter what we receive, whether the body, the blood, a part, a whole, we receive all of him. However, in the symbolic form, the representation, we caught the two species, the species of the bread, the species of the wine, and typically we only receive the species of the bread, the sacred host of the Lord. 
Well, there's a, there's a historical development of that too. So back in the early church, it was customary to receive both the body and the blood at Mass. Faithful would approach, receive the body, they'd go to the chalice, they'd receive the chalice. However, over the, over the course of the centuries, it started to fall out of use, partially because they knew that, well, we received the whole Christ when we received the host. Uh, it was always customary if you're bringing communion to the sick, you would just bring the host. Uh, the problem of, of caring for, for the wine, the possibility of it spilling, the necessity of have lots of ministers, uh, the improbability of, of using, uh, doing the chalice at a communion rail, I think that sharing a chalice during the bubonic plague probably wasn't anybody's, you know, uh, idea of a great idea. Uh, So it kind of fell into disuse in the Middle Ages. By the time of the Council of Trent in the 16th century, the church has has pretty much said we we don't do the chalice except in very specific instances, except for the priest at mass because the priest... Is, is, is the main priest, means celebrant, has to receive the body and the blood from that particular mass being celebrated at the altar. However, as we, as we continue on for the next 400 years or so, we see at the Council Vatican II, the bishops together said, hey, we think it would be advantageous for the faithful to be able to receive the precious blood at mass. And they voted on it and said, yeah, let's make this more readily available. And so uh, after the council, we see the chalice become more of a possibility. Now, one of the, one of the options for receiving the precious blood, which they, they stipulate in the, in the liturgical books, was something called intinction. Intinction is a way where you receive the body and the blood at the same time. Now, this wasn't a novel thing. This is actually done in the Eastern Catholic churches since the very beginnings. For 2,000 years, they've been doing this. They mix the wine and the, and the bread together, the consecrated species, and they receive on a, on a silver or gold spoon the body and the blood of Christ at the same time. It, it tended not to develop in the, in the Western church, the Latin church, which we are, but it was very common in the, the Lebanese church and the Ethiopian church and the Byzantine church, the Greek church. Uh, however, it was something, and I think this, this too, the, the, the bishops having this unification between the East and the West, say, receiving an, by intinction is a, a perfectly a valid way to do it and, and a and very beautiful way to do it as well. So uh, actually, we're going, to, we're going to start doing, we've been doing this at daily mass for the past several months, and, and there's something really beautiful about it. You know, we don't receive more of Jesus, and yet... There's a greater participation in the blood of Christ. There's there's a greater participation symbolically in the banquet, which is the wedding banquet of the lamb, the feast, the wedding marriage feast in heaven. And so when a sacrament is both a symbol and a reality, it's a symbol, it's symbolic, but it contains all that it signifies and, and the power that it signifies. So whereas, yes, when I receive the host, I receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity, but when I receive the blood, when I receive the the precious blood at mass, it reminds me in a deeper way of this, this wedding feast, this wedding banquet. When I receive the precious blood at mass, it also reminds me that I am a priest, you are a priest, and you're participating in this particular sacrifice on the altar because the wine is always consecrated and consumed at the end of mass. We never, we never put the wine, the precious blood, into the tabernacle. So when we receive the precious blood, we're always receiving from this particular sacrifice that we just were, were entering into and participating in. 
It also reminds us in a beautiful way that we are called as priests to also be victim. I'm receiving the precious blood in a, in a bodily way and it reminds me that I too am called in this covenantal relationship with God to be willing to shed my own blood for his sake. And so we, re- we don't receive more Jesus, but there is some symbolic uh, fullness or fittingness in receiving both the body and the blood of Christ. So at the time of communion, we'll receive communion the normal, the normal way. If you want to receive by intinction, uh, the deacon and I will, will simply take the host, dip it in the precious blood, and place it on your tongue. There's two, two rules concerning intinction. One, self-intinction has never, has never been permitted, even though I know it was done in the past. So you may not take the host and dip it yourself and consume it. The priest or the minister has to do that. And we can't receive on the hand. The priest, can, we can't put it onto your hand because of the precious blood. So if you'd like to receive by means of intinction, receive in the tongue. If you're not familiar with receiving in the tongue, you just stick your tongue out a little bit over your bottom lip, make it fat and, uh, and soft, and we'll place it on your, on your tongue. If you don't want to receive that way, Don't worry, you still receive all of Jesus. You're not a lesser Catholic for for only receiving the host. Um, But just make sure to put your hand out early so that we we haven't already dipped the host into the precious blood. One final ramification of this Feast of Ascension. This reminds us that Jesus in his physical body is in heaven. But Jesus also is here on the altar in his sacramental body. And he's also here in the pews in his mystical body. And yet, Jesus is not divided. And he's not three, but he's one. So when we receive Jesus, when we receive the blessed sacrament, we receive all of him. We receive his his complete physical body in heaven. We receive that sacramental host. But we also receive our brothers and sisters so all the more, when we're, when we're considering the communion in which we're, we're saying yes to, it's not just a communion with God. It's also a communion with our brothers and sisters. So the, the, the great necessity to, to call to mind, am I in union also with my brothers and sisters? If, if, I, if I'm harboring hatred, refusing to forgive, then there's actually this great violence in receiving communion under those pretenses. This is what a schism is. So those, those members of the, of the body who have torn themselves apart, they, they're still receiving the sacraments, but in this way that's sort of separated from us. It does great violence to the church. It does great violence to the body of Christ. For this, Jesus says to St. Paul, why are you persecuting me when he was persecuting Christians, persecuting the body? There's one body. There's one body. It's body, blood, soul, and divinity, whole and entire, reigning in heaven, offering his body and blood, which he shed for us on Calvary. He's inviting you and me to unite our hearts, our body, our blood to that same sacrifice where he will present it and continues to present it to the Father for the remission of the sins of the world.